Hello everyone and welcome to The Rewatchmen where we don't normally review movies, we normally re-review movies, but this week we decided to do a review of Comic-Con San Diego 2016. Now, we did do a whole section on Marvel and DC, but at this point all that news is kind of old and what's the point of hearing our reactions? And I'm certainly not cutting it because I accidentally deleted the file of that conversation. <laughs> Definitely not a thing. So what you're going to hear now is our reactions to some of the non-DC and Marvel comic book stuff that took place at Comic-Con San Diego 2016. And then our review of Batman the Killing Joke. So here you go, folks. Ben, believe it or not, there were actually other things at Comic-Con aside from DC and Marvel. Malarkey! Yes, yes. Um, did you happen to go on any panels or go to see anything, or did you just hang out on the floor? Um, well, I stood around the DC and Marvel booth a lot, mm -hmm. and so I was around there for the signings, but not necessarily for any panels, okay. per se. Okay. Yeah. Um, I went to a few here and there. I got to see Brett Spiner was doing a panel for, I think Lucifer was the show he was, or no, um, out, uh, Outcast. Um, Outcast. Outcast? Outlast. Okay. Some, the Robert some, Kirkman some, show yeah, for yeah, Showtime. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I got to, um, my friend Cliff really wanted to go say hi to him. He's like, let's go, let's go try to say hi to Brett Spiner. <laughs> so we went out in the hallway and he came out and Cliff totally blanked. And I was like, come on, let's go. Let's, let's, let's. We, we followed him down the hall a little bit because, and then um, we breezed past him so that we could turn around and talk to him. So like we breezed past, I turned around. And I said, hey, Mr. Spiner, thank you. Big fan. He's like, oh, thank you. And kept walking. And I'm like, all right, Cliff, your turn. And Cliff's just like, Mr. Spiner. Like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't have the guts to try to try to say hi to him. So I was like, Cliff, let me tell you my J.J. Abrams story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I also went to the Riverdale pilots. Okay. Remember Dawson's Creek? I do. <laughs> you know Greg Berlanti? Uh, Greg Palanti. Greg, Greg Berlanti is the producer on Arrow, Flash, Small, oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Supergirl. Um, he's also the producer from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> wow, I did not know that. <laughs> and, um, he, uh, Riverdale is the Archie mm -hmm. comic book Archie comic, brought to TV. Mm -hmm. It is <clears throat> Dawson's Creek. It is the OC. It is Twilight. <laughs> Without the supernatural. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's all about a murder mystery. Yeah. There are students sleeping with a teacher. Uh, it is tr it is trashy, trashy, primetime soap. Let me <laughs> tell you what. Oh, boy. And I don't, know, I don't know how versed you are in how pilots become TV shows. Mm. But uh, for those who might not know, a, a pilot is filmed, and it's, it's tr and you try to go to networks and say, "Hey, we made this pilot for a TV show. Do you want this show?" And the network will uh, will say yes. Uh, and certainly, there's other ways where networks will be like, "We want this show. Make 13 episodes. Go." But for how you pitch a pilot, is you come with the finished first episode and you say, "This is the show." And then the network will say, "We want this show. You need to make these changes." It would appear that. <laughs> But they took the pilot episode of Archie, chopped out all the parts that the network liked, and then kind of like mushed it into episode two of Archie. <laughs> because boy, did they speed through things! Yeah. Like, like 
narration and like, oh, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Uh, okay, now let's do a scene. You're going to sneeze again, aren't you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, that's all I have to say about Riverdale. It sounds like another property that no one asked for to come back. <laughs> you, you know what? If you were going to do anything with Archie, you should have done what they're doing with Archie in the comics right now. Well, with zombies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Afterlife with Archie. Now, here's the thing. Josie and the Pussycats is from Archie. Okay. Josie's in there. Um, and the Pussycats. They're all black. Shared universe. Yep. Uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch is from Archie Comics. Okay. So that's where Afterlife with Archie comes in. She brought a dog back to the life. Back to life. Um, they, they added a new a gay character into the Archie comic books a few years back. He's in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just feels so just typical CW <laughs> garbage. Is it a period piece at least? No, no, no. It's set in modern day. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost like, what's the point? That's almost... That's that's practically like every other CW show. If it was gonna be a period piece, it would have felt like Grease. <laughs> but no, there there was a trailer that came out, and no one gave a shit about. Yeah, it. King Arthur. I heard about Guy this. Ritchie's King Arthur, Charlie Hunnam, right? starring Charlie Hunnam. I I don't know if it could be more forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't care. I just don't care. It, does not look good. Okay. And this is one of Warner Brothers' tentpole movies for next year. Oh, wow, this is a Warner Brothers movie. Yep. Yeah. Didn't they try to do? Uh, who produced the Kieran Knightley King Arthur? I I do not know, but it, <laughs> it looks about as good as that. Okay. Man, all these like reimaginings or like revivals of kind of old properties. Uh, not just even old properties, but like old novels, like. Universal's trying to do their shared universe mm-hmm. with, uh, like, the mummy, yeah. the uh, Van Helsing. Wolfman, and stuff like that. Like, nobody cares about these properties, man. There's no way to do it in a cool, modern context. Mm-hmm. And and even when you try, it, it falls short more often than not. Yeah. Uh, however, there is an old property that Warner Brothers is also releasing. It actually looks pretty... Uh, might look like it could be pretty badass. Hit me with a DeWitt. Stars Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this. Kong, Skull Island. Okay. Um, I don't know, Ben. What do you think? I didn't like the trailer. This is the, he's the biggest King Kong he's ever been. Yes. That's a giant, that is a king of That's all Kong. big ass Kong. I'm going to guess that that is son of Kong. We'll, we'll get an even bigger King Kong that can fight Godzilla. Is this? This is a prequel, right? I, no, it's a new thing. It's a start. It's starting all over. So again. it has nothing to do with Pete Jackson. It has nothing to do with Pete Jackson's. It is a once again. Okay. It's King Kong for the fourth try. We're <laughs> gonna try a fourth time to do King Kong, and this time it looks like a CG. Ba- it looks like Godzilla. It looks like you know if like did you see the Garth? Uh, well, um, uh, uh, Edwards or Evans? <laughs> There's so many Garths now. The Gareth. Gareth Edwards. Yeah. His his uh, Godzilla. I did. Imagine that movie. Now, bring the sun up, mm. and it's just sun shining through the whole thing. Yeah. That's what Godzilla or what King Kong looks like. And they're they're doing a King Kong versus Godzilla film soon, yes, right? Yes, they are. Which I don't. Know. <laughs> this this movie doesn't look good. It, I don't know. I don't. I don't have high hopes for it. It's. Here's the one thing about for me, that's so problematic about bringing back stuff like King Kong and and the recent Tarzan. Mm-hmm. 
it's racist as hell, man. <laughs> Let's just straight up say that, man. Like all the natives are, it's just racist but as Sam hell. <laughs> he's the one guy, <laughs> and he's just Sam Jackson yelling throughout. He's phoning it in. Uh, like I like Tom Hiddleston. I like Brie Larson a lot, mm-hmm. but I feel like their skills could be utilized in other things. Because like running away from a giant CG monster. Literally anyone can do. <laughs> Megan Fox can do it. I don't think Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson is not worth their time. It's not worth our time. And who's directing this? What I'm hoping is, yeah. I, I could look it up, but there's no way to know. Uh, I think this might be a Captain Marvel, Loki, Nick Fury team up. <laughs> I'm just going to hope it is. So it is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. There's, there's some more. There's another Warner Brothers okay. new trailer released for Magical Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, uh, the Harry Potter prequel. The Harry Potter. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, universe prequel. Uh, I'm hopeful for this one. I'm I'm anticipating this one being. I, I hope it's good. J.K. Yeah. Rowling's wrote the screenplay. Okay, yeah. The the thing that I put a strike against it is that David Yates is re- is directing it, and he directed Ooh. the four latter Harry yeah. Potter movies, which I don't like the tone of. I don't like the overall aesthetic. Okay. Of those movies. Very dark. It, it, yeah, I guess it's the direction that you could have gone with those books. But this looks whimsical as hell. Yeah. Which I'd love to see David Yates do that instead <laughs> of the brooding wartime darkness mm. of the Harry Potter movies. This looks good. I, I, I haven't seen the latest trailer, but I'm sold on the first right. few things that I've seen. Um, Eddie Redmayne's kind of hit or miss for me. Yeah. But, uh, well, you either get um, the science of it or the theory of everything, or you get Jupiter ascending. <laughs> <laughs> which which Eddie are we gonna get? Uh, hopefully something in between. <laughs> he was in uh, Sweeney Todd. I've never seen that movie. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I have one last last bit of news. Okay. Uh, Chris Hemsworth <sighs> is going to be starring in Star Trek Three. Badass. It's just very interesting that they announced that he is coming back yeah. and he will be one of the stars of the movie. I think it's a good move. It's a very good move. Um, the <laughs> on, my only thing is, don't make him part of like the current timeline. <laughs> don't do that. Keep him in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, Godfather to it. Have yeah. two yes, running that's what I'm parallel saying. stories. Do two parallel stories. Yeah, that's that is what I'm saying. I think it'd be fantastic. I I love this overall arching theme of Kirk trying to live up to his father's legacy. They mm-hmm. didn't. They haven't really been exploring it fully, and what the idea of having him come back, I think they will with mm-hmm. the fourth film. And I, I, I would love the idea. Uh, and so um, I, I want Star Trek, the movies, to take more risks, especially in terms of like exploration and science and moral quandaries because yeah. you don't... I said th- three, it's four. I just realized I was calling it Star Trek three. It is the fourth one. Oh, yeah, this is the fourth one. <laughs> but the, the first three movies, while most of them have been very enjoyable, they're, they're straight-up action movies. Mm. I would love to see something more twilight zony and more in the spirit of what's the first iteration yeah, of star trek what gene roddenberry set out to do which yeah. is, the, is to explore philosophy and mm. psychology and the deeper questions we face out there in the great unknown yeah i i don't think they will ever be so cerebral in yeah. this new iteration maybe the tv show will kind of explore that but i i doubt that as well i feel like they'll probably keep it pretty fun i think star trek the tv series will be a lot like agents of shield like okay. Just just enough drama while still keeping it action packed entertainment. That's that be that's a good direction. That, speaking of direction though, is Justin Lin coming back? I do not know. I do not believe he is has been confirmed yet. That okay. He's coming back. I'd wonder, love to see him come back. I wonder if JJ's coming back. 
I'd love to see Justin Lin come back. What if it's like co-director to that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Justin Lin, Justin Lin, Justin yeah, Lin. Yeah, there, there was no, there's only one lens flare in Beyond, and yeah. I love that. And <laughs> the only thing is, I wish Justin Lin, I don't know if it was his decision or, you know, if it was interference or whatever, but the more dramatic beats mm-hmm. in Star Trek Beyond were not savored. They were, it's very, like we were talking off mic how relentlessly paced Beyond mm-hmm. was, and that made for a very fun, visceral experience. But I didn't get a, an emotional satisfaction watching this in comparison to the first one. I think that's meddling from Paramount. Okay. And maybe meddling's the wrong word for it, but it's not what they were, what they wanted. When yeah. Simon Pegg handed in his first draft, they mm-hmm. sent it back to him with the note. And this is from Simon Pegg. This is too Star Trekky. Oh, God. That was their note. So those <laughs> dramatic beats, those softer, more thoughtful moments, were yeah. probably pulled out in the script and in in the production, uh, post production of it as well. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I, I see what you're saying of trying to find a more emotional impact in some of those. Yeah. Quieter moments. It've been really nice because mm-hmm. they were touching on things like you know, uh, Prime Spock passing away mm-hmm. and. Uh, Chris Pine, like, growing older and stuff like that. It, it was all very interesting, but it happened so quick. You yeah, know, the yeah. scenes were no longer than a minute or two. And so I, I just wish, if they were, if they plan on being ballsier with Star Trek Four and doing the whole father-son thing, living mm-hmm. up to the legacy, I want that further explored <laughs> and not just in explosions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be Star Trek Fourteen, right? Yeah. So uh, wow, <laughs> it, the the odd numbers for this new iteration seem to be the good ones, mm. which means we can look forward to seeing balls. <laughs> I don't mean literally; I mean more figuratively. So. Just uh, yeah. pine and Hemsworth balls. Give us the Chris balls. <laughs> <laughs> Chris balls. Chris balls. Chris balls. So anyway, <laughs> I, I unloaded all my news on you. There you go. Okay. <laughs> did you have any other news stories? I from did. I, w- I wish that was the one that ended it because mine's not as cool. <laughs> But um, actually, it was pretty neat because this small movie that, uh, you know, this, um, uh, like, a small crowd gathered to see it, and they came together, and they thought they were seeing a small indie yes, flick directed by um, yeah, the guest director. I forgot his name. He's a really cool director. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I forgot his name. But he's, he's an up-and-comer. He's doing really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was titled The Woods. Yes. And folks were coming in, oh, it's probably just another crazy found footage film. Like, whatever. Yeah, it's following in the rock. vein of that. Yeah. yeah. Turns out it's a straight-up sequel to 1999's The Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Oh. Nobody knew. Holy crap. This is this is some genius marketing. Yeah. To no. to to do that at Comic Con mm-hmm. is so clever. It's I mean, a way to reboot stuff. Uh, Blair Witch, the Blair Witch Project, invented a new genre of film that it took them ten years to figure out how to <laughs> capitalize upon. <laughs> it. it created viral marketing like that had never been been seen. Yeah. So they'll never be able to do that again. Mm. But they found a way to drop that bombshell mm. in one of the cleverest ways ever. Yeah, like and it to, helps that no one cared about it for yeah, the longest time. <laughs> yeah, come see the woods. Now, I, I don't know if the poster has been hanging up at the theater and I just didn't notice it, but I noticed the woods poster today. Yeah. It's a, a shot from, like, looking straight up through trees. Hmm. The trees are in the shape of the Blair Witch symbol. Oh. So if that poster's been up for a month and nobody noticed... That's even better. Wow, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> now, I personally don't remember if I've seen the first one, but 
do you recall liking it? <laughs> uh, or I have will, you seen it? I will say, oh, I've seen the Blair Witch Project and the Blair Witch 2 Season of the Witch. Okay. Blair Witch 2 <laughs> Season of the Witch, one of the worst movies I could probably say I've ever seen in theaters. Um, just terrible. Yeah. Just so bad. <laughs> uh, but the Blair Witch Project, um, yes, I did, uh, Lucky McKee is the director's name. Lucky McKee? That can't be the name. <laughs> Written by David Ross. Um, the first Blair Witch Project, it was just at the beginning of... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what's our... <laughs> the Woods that came out in 2006 was directed by Lucky McKee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, the Kevin Bacon child molester yes. movie. <laughs> oh, God. The Woods, The Woods. What? It's not even coming up in... IMDb when I searched the woods. <laughs> oh, dude, it's, it's this here. It is. It's 2016s. They're just calling it Blair Witch. They changed the name. It's yeah. not even called the woods anymore. It's called Bla- straight up Blair yeah, Witch. There's now. the poster. Oh, that's a sweet poster. Um, it's directed by Adam Wingard. Yes, yeah. the so guest. That that first one. I, all the hype around it. I, there was a there was some more experienced indie filmmakers working at the theater when I was a young young chap who were just obsessing about this indie film. And, and I remember watching it and thinking, meh. Hmm. Then I went and saw it a second time. And the ending of that movie is the, is, is the punchline, is the, is the punctuation mark to a setup of what the Blair Witch does. And I, I don't know if I paid more attention that second time, but holy crap did that scare the hell out of me. Once mm. I like absorbed what they had pulled off in the in the climax of that movie i walked out of there like chilled yeah like <gasps> and he was looking at the wall like, oh my god <laughs> and it, it's an effective spooky movie with yeah. with terrible actors in it. <laughs> terrible non-actors uh. you know like the paranormal activities are like oh it's found footage yeah so they get non-actors to be in it here's the thing you need actors yeah. okay Actors are important because they can act. <laughs> yes. And if you get non-actors to be in a movie, guess what? They can't act. They can't act. But that first one is is one of the most important movies of the modern era of filmmaking. Yes. It's not one of the greatest movies of the modern filmmaker by yeah. a far, far long, like long margin, but it's one of the most important movies of the modern era. We owe a lot to the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, which is so crazy. <laughs> I can't believe it. But what a, what a bombshell to drop on on Comic Con on those fans. Yeah, really sneaky, neat, guerrilla style marketing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And the word got out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like I'm I'm interested. I don't really care about Blair Witch. <laughs> well, hey. Um, I guess there wasn't much more going on at Comic Con than <laughs> once again DC and Marvel dominated. Yeah. Did yeah. you did you buy anything? Did you uh, happen to like poke around the pan uh, any of the booths or anything like that? I did like uh, pick my head around. I, I went to the smaller panels. I went to like a Miss Marvel panel mm-hmm. with uh, G Willow Wilson. She's the main writer of the the series. I just wanted to like meet all the Miss Marvel teams because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> dude, I freaking I had Miss Marvel one in my car. For Sana and G Willow to sign, and you forgot it, and I left it there like you, an idiot, just like you didn't get Donner to sign Superman. For I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <afraid>. <laughs> I I just fail at everything. But um, no, I wasn't um looking to buy. Actually, you know, what? it was so it was so tough to do like quote unquote fan stuff because I was working, You're but working. I was but I was happy to work, man. Like mm-hmm. 
that's that's why it was such a fun work experience because I enjoyed what I was doing because I got to go around talking to people about stuff that we both mutually loved. Like <laughs> there's this like fantastic Korra cosplayer. Um, I was just like, can I take a picture of you? I love Legend of Korra. And she's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Turns out she's Instagram famous for oh, wow. cosplaying <laughs> as Korra. And I was like, wow, it's just cool to let like cool folks like that mm. are just walking around. Just like, <laughs> yeah. And, and like I was telling you when I bumped into you that I, so like I'm, I'm a huge fan of Yusagi Ujimbo. I've been reading that book uh, published by Dark Horse since grade school. You know, I was just like taking a sip of water. I turned around, I bumped into this older gentleman. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I did a double take and I was like, oh, you're Stan Sakai, <laughs> the creator of Yusagi Ojambo, <laughs> the creator of my childhood. I was like, sir, I love your work. Can I interview you? <laughs> he's like, sure. He's and like, he did. He, he did. He's in, wow. the, he's in the piece that I produced for NBC Asia America that you can see on Facebook and YouTube right now. And Fuck. yeah, I, it's featuring him. It's featuring Sana from Marvel Comics and it features. Uh, Wow, that's incredible. And you just bumped into him. I just bumped into him. Like, it was the, my first interview. I bumped into him in the morning. I was just, like, writing down, like, okay, what's the game plan? Who should I seek out? And I bumped into this old guy, and it turned out to be Stan Sakai. And, and you like, recognized Did you see his name tag, or you actually recognized, recognized him? him? Wow. I, I recognized him Geek. right away. Because, I, yeah, <laughs> I did a little stalking. But, no, like, I've been following his work for the longest time, and he's just such an influential guy. And to meet, like, Comic-Con is such a great hub to not only meet like fans and mm-hmm. shared and share and have this conversation of shared interests, but to meet your heroes yeah and just they're just walking around just like people they're they're real human beings guys <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they eat and poop too <laughs> <laughs> no and uh yeah no it's just fantastic dude and, and totally like i ran to chris pine as well he's just walking he's around. just walking back. Yeah, that little quick little <laughs> yeah, that's that fantastic and yeah comic-con is such a magical place i really want to go back next year and thanks for sending me the application yes. i hope i can i don't think i qualify as a professional Oh, I'm you not, certainly do. Because I'm not a creator, though. Like you, you have the credentials. I feel Clearly, like, we talk about this time. You have yeah. IMDb credits for NBC Asian America, right? No, that's the thing. Well, we should talk off mic. I, I need to okay, create that. Look, <laughs> we, we got to meet uh, Todd Nock, who I've visited every comic book convention I've ever gone to. He's the artist of Young Justice, okay. the first comic book series ever correct, collected. And he and his wife, she she kind of like chats people up while he's drawing. One of the coolest dudes, man, and I I can really appreciate him as an artist because I've followed him for so long. I've seen him develop over the years, and I was e- even able to mention that to him that I could see from his early work in Young Justice till he got to the end of that that his Robin improved, and then seeing his line work from Young Justice to what he does now, and he he appreciated that I recognized that he's like you got a sharp eye there <laughs> I was like i'm a fan you young whippersnapper um so it was really cool meeting him but i was actually working all weekend as well Woo! i was producing the madison 48 hour film festival from from, from the Comic-Con. con how did you pull that off so uh ferment film slash redacted films uh participated in the madison 48 we made a movie called meatball assassino <laughs> assassino and it's a uh, a mob family dinner mm. is the movie. So a mafia Italian mob family dinner. And it's a kind of dark comedy cop story. So, uh, But it was fun. It was also uh, made me very anxious to not be there. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 by Sunday on a 48, will be pacing around, like, checking and, like, you know, watching my clock. Because my first – the only two rules I want – like, the only two things I go into any 48 is, one, make a movie you're proud of, B, 
<laughs> handed in on time. <laughs> so I always get a little anxious. Uh, but it was fun. to I put the team together, and I unleashed them, and I was able to check in with them over the course of the weekend. Um, and very heavy duty on throughout the Sunday morning, and as well as Saturday night, I got like no sleep. But it was it was very exciting and interesting and educational to participate in that capacity. I was the studio. Yeah, I was the I, I was the guy who signed the check, constantly checking in, like tell me how my money's being spent. <laughs> <laughs> You're the suit. And 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 my third goal for it, which I feel like we succeeded, was it was an educational experience. Oh yeah, because we took as many regulars as we could and put them in new positions mm. and we brought in a bunch of newbies who had never done it before and gave them the opportunity to learn. So we had a first time producer, Bill, yeah. Bill Corey. We had uh, two 15 year old kids who are interested in filmmaking. We made them crew and behind the scenes. Mm. So they got to experience the whole process and uh, it was fun. Yeah. You're changing the world. TC. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> no, that sounds really cool though. That's, that's a really neat, uh, twist on since you guys are uh 48 vets you yeah. had to spice it up a little yeah bit. we 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 i would i would hate to think that we just kind of go through the motions on all these so being able to change it up and and finding new ways to do them it's exciting we it's it would you know it seems simple to say like let's just get together and make something right mm. but there's something about the pressure of the 48 that brings out the best yeah. and the willingness of people mm-hmm. for for whatever reason if I said, hey, let's film a short film this weekend, I'd have a hard time finding some key roles just because time is important yeah. to people. And no, and obviously time's important to me too. It's it's a hot commodity. Yeah. But when I say we're doing a 48, suddenly I get my cup runneth over with people. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that, but I think it's the instant gratification maybe mm. to know that by the end of Sunday we will have a finished product. Yeah. I think that appeals to a lot of people. Yes. So, a yep. lot of, I've, I've been criticized in the past for continuing to do the 48s. But finding an excuse to make it an educational experience, yeah. finding a way to test our skills and give people new opportunities, that's why I like I like that we continue to do them. Yeah, and plus you're the LeBron of the 48-hour <laughs> film festival. Like, you keep winning stuff. Why would you stop? <laughs> it's like, it's, TC, stop winning. It's not, and it's not about that for, <laughs> for, for crying out loud. It's certainly Hashtag not, humble brag. Not, not <laughs> well, hey, it was it was a it was a really great experience, and I'm and uh, that movie is currently available on firm, firmamentfilms.com if mm. you want to go check that out. So, so a huge shout out to my to the team, uh, you guys rocked it, and and I'm I'm proud to see the product, and I'm I'm excited to do more. So. You're proud, Papa. So, there's one more element of Comic Con that's worth discussing, and as we are the rewatchmen, we do claim to review things. <laughs> It's, uh, I think we should do a review. The Killing Joke. You have seen it? I have seen it. I have seen it. You have seen it? We should discuss it. Let's do it. What do you say? All right, let's take a quick break here. Uh, if you have not seen The Killing Joke, it is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Okay? So you can watch it. Really? Yes. For free? I believe it is running on Amazon Prime for free. Okay. If not, you can rent it for $2 if you don't have Prime. <laughs> Two dollars, TC. So if that interests you, uh, we we are going to discuss the Killing Joke. Now, uh, keep in mind this won't just be a straight up review of the movie. What we do in these reviews is we discuss themes. We dis- we we dig in deep about what works and what doesn't. We discuss the technicality. Uh, this isn't just going to be do we like it, do we hate it, mm. how do we feel about it. Uh, ben and I, when we do these reviews, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say we we try to look as deep as possible mm. into these films. So, uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. Check out the Killing Joke either in graphic novel form or go over to Amazon Prime right now and stream that. Yeah. 
We'll be right back after this. about to do is a re-review actually just a straight up review of the killing joke there will be spoilers here so if you have not seen the killing joke or you don't want us to <laughs> we're going to talk freely so we will be spoiling this however if you don't care and you want to hear our opinion about it here we go <laughs> it was pretty weird when scooby-doo showed up oh come on come on <laughs> Let it, give him a chance to turn it off ah. 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 2016 the killing joke Directed by Sam Liu, Liu, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, written by, well, based on Alan Moore's comic, The Killing Joke, based on Batman, created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Um, I love that you led with Bill, though. Oh, because he really, he's really the one who did it. <laughs> respect, <laughs> true respect fan, to true Bill fan. Finger. There you go. <laughs> um, and let's see, who wrote the screenplay for this would be, oh, Brian Azriello. Yes. Now, before we jump into everything, mm-hmm. please remember those names, folks. Sam Liu and Brian, Brian Azzarello, because any, I don't know, if there are complaints, because I know folks on the Twitterverse are throwing it at Bruce Tim Bruce right Tim, now, yeah. and I think that's extremely unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Just a preface. Yeah, uh, Bruce Tim, who is the godfather of DC Animated, Yeah, uh, he created, he was responsible for the Batman Animated Series that changed American animated television. Mm. It was that and Gargoyles. But <laughs> the the Batman animated series had created too many the definitive Batman. Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, for 24 years Woo. he has been the voice of Batman. Yeah. Uh, Tara Strong is the voice of Batgirl and Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Mark frickin' Hamill as the Joker. He yes. is the Joker. Any segue. Has there ever been a bad joker there have been bad movies with the joker but has there ever been a bad joker jamaican joker from the batman i I say (laughs) i say not even that one that might be a lesser version of the joker that we're more familiar with but having gone back and watched a couple episodes of the batman Hmm. not not terrible (laughs) i just love that he's he's jamaican (laughs) he's like a weird little monster man but here's the thing there are no bad jokers this is true there are bad movies with joker but there are no bad jokers because he's just so fun. They're so He's limitless. You can do anything. You mm. can do the craziest thing, and it's still fun. You can do Jamaican. You can do whatever <laughs> Jared Leto's doing. You can do Jack Nicholson. You can do Heath Ledger. You can do Mark Hamill. There are no bad jokers. Yes. There are so many ways to do that character well. Yeah. Um, and, but Mark Hamill is. He has been playing the Joker for 24 years, as yes. well as Kevin Conroy playing Batman. Mm. And who would have thought that Mark Hamill would have a second renaissance of a career as a voice actor yeah and now the potential to star wars a yeah. third renaissance returning back to his source <laughs> who to thunk um but bruce tim is responsible for the greatest of the dc animated stuff yeah uh, when he stepped away i feel like the straight to dvd movies lost something uh, paul dini is also a big response a person responsible for the animated stuff 
uh, but he wasn't responsible for anything with the killing joke. Um, but uh, Sam Liu, director, Brian Eswell, writer. Uh, this this movie follows the graphic novel of The Killing Joke, but if it just followed the graphic novel of The Killing Joke, it would be a 30-minute movie. Very short uh, source material. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like maybe it should have been a 30-minute movie. Yeah. Which starts to show some signs of how I feel about <laughs> this. Bless me. Um, they added a... Uh, a first part of this movie. Yeah, prologue. A, a, a prologue of sorts. It's an entirely different film mm-hmm. about Batgirl. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Gordon, daughter of Commissioner Gordon, who is out in the streets kicking ass as Batgirl. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in her in that segment of the story, there is a guy who becomes obsessed with her, which Batman, uh, they try to parallel with Joker's obsession with Batman. I'm shaking my head. <laughs> uh, I... And then we get the killing joke, which is about the Joker torturing Commissioner Gordon mm-hmm. and proving that everyone can go crazy, mm-hmm. and Batman trying to prove that maybe Joker's wrong. Yeah, uh, with a very ambiguous ending left up for interpretation from the comic that the the movie also attempts to to leave ambiguous, yeah. leaving it up to the viewer's decision. Which all this also <clears throat> further proves people don't read comics because <laughs> the reaction of what is like. This is a thirty-year-old comic book. <laughs> what? What the hell are you surprised for? Especially those at Comic Con. You should know. <laughs> but the, yeah, the the question of did Batman kill Joker or not is mm. how it ends, and it's left up to the reader's interpretation of it. Yeah. Um. Oh man, where where do we start? There's like so much to say. Maybe from the beginning. I don't uh, know where to be. You begin. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I went to the panel. I, I went to the panel. I got to see the, the conversation beforehand because they had to wait till 10 o'clock to play it because oh, it's rated R. Yeah. By the way, why was this rated R? Yeah. No there need. is no reason for this to be rated R. It is just as, quote unquote, graphic or violent as The Dark Knights, which is PG-13. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the standards for R has uh, and PG-13 has risen exponentially I I... since this book came out. And, I mean, there's like three to five headshots. Um, there's some sexual innuendo. Nothing like overly graphic mm-hmm. that we haven't seen before. I mean, if anything, it was pretty disturbing was at it? moments. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't like, I don't know. It's a fine line. Like I you wouldn't, know. you know, yeah, right. I wouldn't say a 13-year-old kid should watch this, but it's also, at the same time, this wasn't as violent or gruesome or sexualized yeah. as most, at what I think of when I think of Rated R. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hard PG-13, which means under 13 may need some parental guidance in order to view this. That's yeah. what the PG-13 rating means. And yeah. some 13-year-olds could be capable of watching something that's racy like this. Yeah. And other 13-year-olds might, I want to just play with my Legos. <laughs> <laughs> but I was at the panel. They did such a build-up to this movie yeah. of, like, we are so proud of this. This is something we've been waiting our whole lives to do. This is everything we ever dreamed of. You guys are not going to believe what's going to happen here. Oh, my God. And then the movie happened. Can I can I ask you, since you were there, mm-hmm. what was the initial reaction? What was, like, the visceral reaction? Did, were there boos at all? There, there was a lot of, what? Whoa. After, when the questions started coming, things got heated. Okay. Wow. Um, so, all right. Let's just get, let's just yeah. jump right to it. Oh, mi- if, uh, 
I just I just also wanted to preface with how how I watched it as well. So like, oh please yes I'm sorry I'm, I was ready to jump on here. Oh, no, no, you, no. How did you watch? No, it? No sorry for interrupting. No, I, told, no, 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 I just remembered. Yes. Like so, I was going to watch it on demand because I was like oh it's on the internet now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also remembered Fandango was running a two night event, which mm-hmm. by the way they made a killing. Yes. A, just straight up. Not, that's not even a play on words. <laughs> it's straight up killed at the box office. Eight point nine million dollars for two nights. And it was literally playing two two screenings per night. Mm-hmm. That is phenomenal, incredible. Yeah, and the it was fantastic, man. It was like being at Comic Con again because everyone had a Batman shirt or a Joker shirt mm-hmm. in that theater. And oh yeah, what was what, what? Yeah, please. I just I'm this. What was your experience here? The vibe was incredible. I mean, like, um, <clears throat> I felt like with all the initial reactions, I couldn't help. Avoid, I tried to avoid so much of the like reviews and criticisms, mm-hmm. but like it was just popping up every and like people just straight up don't care when they review things review things anymore. Like even major media outlets like Variety, they just mm-hmm. straight up said, "Oh yeah, Batgirl <laughs> and Batman had a sex scene." I was like, "I didn't know that. <laughs> that could have been pivotal to the narrative." I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> but um, you know what? I don't know if I should say how I felt about the film yet, but like the the vibe within the theater wasn't as divided as I thought it was going to be, especially from the reactions on the internet, mm-hmm. especially from my own personal standpoint too. I was coming in kind of like, Oh, this is, this might be iffy, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. About it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the killing joke portion yeah. of this movie, they nailed it. Yes. It is faithful. It is faithful to the source. Uh, and, and that can kind of be a bad thing because I think Batman Year One as an animated film was too faithful to yeah. Batman Year One the comic and it and it feels clunky. It mm. doesn't it doesn't have the same smooth nuances that the Dark Knight Returns has as an animated film, which Ooh. is freaking love that movie. Phenomenal. If you didn't know from my one minute rewatch how I rated it so high, it is such a phenomenal movie. But it's because they took liberties. Yes. Uh, in appropriate liberties, I should mm. say. <laughs> um, but the killing joke portion of the Killing Joke. Such incredible performances, voice performances from Hamill and Conroy, just great. And uh, Ray uh, Ray Weiss, who does Commissioner Gordon, it's great. And it's it's visually arresting, and it's visceral, and it the song portion is horrifying, and it's Ugh. and it's it's great. Would it be far fetched to say this is Hamill's best performance as the Joker since Phantasm? He's, God, he's I mean, just I knocked know it out of the park so many times. It's people hard. love the Arkham games, but the stories aren't. I mean, it's I don't, especially the first game. The story's not super great. Mm-hmm. Arkham City's really good, but there's something about this that is very different in tone. Because like, er, like the whole talking about Marvel doing different genres each film, it feels like every Batman, like really good iteration of Batman, is a different genre. Mm-hmm. This one is probably the most psychologically twisty. It's almost like a Fincher movie. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It yeah. was very... I thought it was very brave, and it's ex- it's willingness to be experimental. It's willingness to be art house, actually. Mm-hmm. Because, like, everything with Batgirl felt like... We'll, you know, get, to, we'll get to that. We're talking about the killing joke. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just to... Stylistically, everything with Batgirl is very... It it feels exactly like the DC animated stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the Killing Joke. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to joke. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the the Killing Joke though, it did feel completely different. And even though it's like I'm very familiar with the source material, and mm-hmm. I still think maybe it's faithful to a fault because the source material is problematic. But <laughs> but 
had that being said, it's it's one of the greatest Joker stories, and this might be one of the greatest Joker performances because mm-hmm. he is at his most unhinged, you know. And by that, I don't mean like just all over the place, bouncing off the walls, like certain iterations of Mark Hamill Joker's has been, mm-hmm. particularly the games. It's more like he's more quiet, he's more brooding, he's more scarier. Yeah, he's it's very sinister. Yeah, I. I kind of had a hard time sleeping that night watching it, actually, to tell you the truth. it's yeah. He gave it his all. Yeah. And he called in. Mm-hmm. Hamill actually called in at the panel. Oh, really? Yeah. So And he said, you know, thanking us for being there to view it, and he's excited for us to see it. He, he's been dreaming of performing this since he began the series. When, yeah. When the original animated series was, like, midway through its run, nearing the end of its run, he said, oh, it's too bad we... We won't ever get a chance to do the killing joke because I would love to do that. And, yeah. And so this was a dream come true for him to do it. And it is not lost. Like he he poured his heart into this. And Conroy did too. Conroy yeah. really, really gave his all as Batman. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't hold a candle to Hamill's performance, which yeah. is so there's so many levels to it. See the flashbacks where he's the vulnerable oh, wow. Joe. Like we don't yeah. know what his real name is. Uh, losing oh man and the the turnaround of losing his wife where he's yeah. just like i i think i gotta go home like it plays so mm. ah it's just and once he gets to the circus and he's just bananas oh okay it's awards worthy right i you know if there was a category yeah. at the oscars for you, voice you know acting. I, you know i keep saying it there needs to be an alternative performance category at the yeah. oscars you can do uh just like there should be a best stunts category there should be a best voice acting and there should be a best uh, motion capture alternative performance. Yeah, someday, <laughs> it's phenomenal. Like mm. he did not hold back. Yeah, um, and that's why that section of the movie is great. Please, I, I recommend anyone who has an interest in seeing this movie who hasn't already been spoiled by everything we've said here. Uh, but we hey, we gave you the spoiling warning. We gave you a spoiler warning before we started this. <laughs> <laughs> the killing joke portion of this is absolutely worth the watch. Yeah. And I wish it had just been that. Yeah. Uh, because now let's talk about the complete mishandling of Barbara Gordon's Batgirl. What were they thinking? They weren't thinking. Batgirl, <laughs> Batgirl as a character, as the potential of what this character could be, is is second to Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. What DC has in Batgirl is the second most iconic female superhero. You can argue with me all you want about yeah. that. You could say Jean Grey and Storm, but if I showed a picture of Wonder Woman, your aunt and your mom are going to know who they are. Yeah. If I showed up a picture of Batgirl, you better damn well believe your, your parents are going to... Those, those people who aren't comic book fans are going to know who Batgirl are. Yeah. And she... They're talking about empowering her as a character. They're talking about how they, they gave her so much more depth as a character. She I... becomes the two of the worst cliches of female characters in, in any medium, yeah. which is the the obsessed girlfriend mm. and the victim. Yes. She, yes. I would have preferred her just being the victim, mm. as she is in the original source material, where mm. she is only there yeah. to be shot to, par- to paralysis mm. and torturing Jim. Mm. That's it. Yeah. But for some reason, they thought if they gave her a big, long, half-hour backstory, it would be more effective when she was <laughs> hurt. Supposed to make us feel better. 
Look, if you wanted to do a prologue leading up to this, yeah, then you give me a story about Jim, Bruce, I'm sorry, Jim, Batman, and Joker. Mm. You do a prequel something or other involving those three, yeah. and then you give me the killing joke. Mm. That's how you thematically create an arc. Yeah. Somehow giving us a half hour of crazy Batgirl who has hate sex with Batman. <laughs> no. Is this... Was this written by Rob Liefeld? Look, hey, <laughs> you know, they did give her a very funny gay best friend to give you all the comedy. Good Lord, from the 90s. Did, that's the thing about that whole prologue. It felt dated. You know what I mean? Like, even though The Killing Joke was created in the 80s, it, that story is transcendental mm-hmm. in its themes and its the way it was handled psychologically and thematically. But this prologue, it felt like female empowerment in the 90s when they didn't figure out what female empowerment meant was. look how strong of a female she is she yeah. has sex with batman i know <laughs> and this is the problem i i read a fantastic article that everyone who's interested in like feminism and pop culture should read it's by the mary sue the they they take it and twist it ironically the title but um they they do a critique on on the prologue basically and saying how there weren't any women in the writer's room or directing it or voices in general. That's why like, it's more, more like male gaze, male self-fulfillment rather than actual female empowerment. Because I think at times we kind of are misguided in, in the way we portray women mm-hmm. because we, we kind of see it because we, you don't, we don't really know what it's like to be a woman. And, and I feel like the prologue would have been more stronger I, okay, I like the idea of making her a more well-rounded character in order for us to feel something when she shot. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. However, <laughs> everything that they did, like you said, it did not add up to that. Like, the, Batman has two of the most epic mansplaining <laughs> monologues <laughs> that I've seen in any DC animated movie. It was like, I mean, I say that jokingly, but it, it was straight up mansplaining. I felt offended. I was like... Come on, Batgirl's been... This is not even Batman, Batgirl year one. She's, yeah, been, she's been, been at it forever. Yeah. I feel like it would have been nice to have just like a slice of life of her just like on the job the day before or the same night mm-hmm. leading up to that incident with the Joker. That would have been much more powerful and impactful. I don't really care what... If she has some kind of crazy schoolgirl crush on Batman. Because like, how does that have to do anything with like... How does it tie in narratively mm-hmm. with the Killing Joke? When you look at the Batman animated series into Batman Beyond, mm. uh, Batman Beyond created the implication that Barbara and Batman and Barbara and Bruce may have had a relationship in the past. Okay. Now, in the Batman Beyond comic series that follows the cartoon series, they actually solidified that and yeah. they said yes, they did in fact. But I don't care about the comics. Just in the show itself, there was the implication that Barbara and Bruce had once been together in okay. some capacity. In a romantic capacity. And those those implied moments were really fascinating because I never explored them. It was just always kind of floating there to be interpreted one way or the other. Mm. And that is really intelligent. That yeah. is a, a complex storytelling method that if you capitalize on too much, you get trash. Yeah. <laughs> and by taking that implication and just having a sex scene <laughs> on the rooftop in your costumes. Yeah. Batman grabbing her ass, like that changes those nuances mm. and just makes it an objectification yes. of Batgirl. Yes. It's, it's funny. 
when Batman's uh, telling her, You're, he's objectifying you. Can't you see? And stuff like that. It felt like, so hey, ironic. Writers, <laughs> you are doing that. Is this supposed to be meta? <laughs> I did. It was it was mind-boggling, TC. And, like, I don't know. I tried to give it a chance because, like, I, I love Tara Strong as Batgirl. She gave a great performance. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to keep going. I was like, okay, maybe there's a payoff here. Maybe there's a payoff here. But no, man. It was like, if anything... We, we we say that yeah, we go back to the eighties material and it's problematic. If anything had made it more problematic. <laughs> <laughs> you you rub salt in the wound. <laughs> it did not belong there. It had no place there. It yeah. didn't do what they claimed they were attempting to do, yeah. which was boy, we really want it to mean more. And I'm telling you, and I'll say it again, if you had a a Batman Gordon Joker story set in, in the yes, the early years of Batman. If you bring a, an early years Batgirl into that story yeah. and put her in a position of danger mm. as Batgirl and, and having the realization that Batman may have in that moment that uh, she needs to stay out of this yeah. uh, or, or even Gordon saying, I don't know who this girl you have running around with you is, yeah. but you probably, why? what is it with you and kid sidekicks? Mm. You're putting them in danger yeah. because... Then when it's Gordon is the reason Joker attacks and shoots Batgirl, Gordon put her in danger. It yeah. had nothing to do with her being Batman or Batgirl, yeah. being with Batman or being Batgirl. And that is so much more dynamic of, of a story, uh, an arc to happen, to be like, yeah. Gordon is just as responsible as Batman is responsible at putting someone like that in danger. Yeah. And then, on top of all those layers... To have Batgirl say, this is my choice. Mm. I come out here and risk my life to save people because I want to. You empower her to make that decision by herself. Mm. And then when she's shot for no reason, that it had nothing to do with the choices she's made, boom, that packs a punch. Yeah. Oh, look at those goosebumps. Goosebumps. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's how you, I would go so far as to remake this as an entire fan film and yeah. do that at the beginning wow. and just remake a killing joke shot for shot. I mean, you describing it just for one minute gave me more weight than the entire prologue of that film because, like you said, it gives her a vehicle to be empowered to make decisions. It, it seemed like in the prologue everyone was telling her not only what to do but how to think. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And. It's funny that these filmmakers are saying, yeah, we're doing it so we can empower them, blah, blah, blah. But the way that even how they filmed her and her scenes, like the part where she's just jogging, there's a extreme close-up on her ass. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Why? <laughs> if that's not objectification, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Like, it, I, it's, it serves no purpose, like you said, the entire prologue. And it just seems like a waste. It's a waste of everyone's talents and time. The shock of the audience in some of the moments, the first headshot that happens, yeah. kind of like elicited, or, oh, man, yeah. it just happened. Uh, when that sex scene happened, it was, what? Yeah. Like, there was like uncomfortable giggling, mm-hmm. and there was there was a reaction that waved through that audience. Yeah. When it came time to do the Q&A afterwards, you know, people were asking questions. What was it like to do this? What were, how hard was it to do that? And someone got up there and asked, in a Joker cosplay, saying, how do you guys feel you had the right to claim you're empowering Batgirl by doing that. Yeah. And they gave, you know, like, oh, well, we didn't see it that way. We were trying to explore. We were, we were trying to to show she had strength. And the dude goes, yeah, by making her have sex and be a victim. Yeah. And Ezra goes, say that again, pussy. 
whoa <laughs> and the room turned the room was like whoa and, and that, that like tim's was like oh shit I, i'm okay come on let's uh, let's keep it easy guys wow. so, come on let's just let's calm down and it was almost to the moment of it was almost to the effect uh to the point where tim's wanted to, you could i could i felt like he wanted to say it's just a movie guys uh-huh. it's just a cartoon let's calm down yeah. here but i i think he was aware seeing the response of that portion I, I I could feel that 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 maybe they felt that they had made some missteps yeah and they were they were hoping that their execution of the killing joke which again as you heard as we began this review they nailed it yeah <clears throat> I feel like they were hoping that would carry this the distance offset it <laughs> yeah maybe it kind of shows you what kind of person Azarello is yeah. <laughs> now his his claim after the fact, because he was asked about it and uh, a reporter asked him about it, he said, I wasn't yelling at him for what he said. I was saying he didn't have the guts to say it out loud into the microphone. He mumbled it under his breath, and I wanted him to have this conversation, but he just muttered it and walked away. I don't know if that's actually what happened, because it sure as hell sounds like he said, yeah, say that again to my face. Sounds like a defensive reaction. <laughs> and out of all these folks, I feel bad for most for Bruce Tim because he's the one going around the press doing damage control mm-hmm. now. Like every every article is about him or it has a sound bite from <laughs> Bruce Tim. No one's blaming Azarello or or the director. Yeah, I know. They're just like Bruce Tim, what have you done? It's just like, dude, this guy this guy helped ushered in some of the most powerful female characters in the Bat universe mm-hmm. by actually giving them a platform for empowerment. Poison Ivy, Harley, and Batgirl. Catwoman. Catwoman, yes. Yeah. Like, the rogues gallery of Batman is filled with some, some pretty... Talia. Yeah. Uh, uh, Red Claw. Um, uh, you know what's the one female character that no one has yet to explore, and I don't understand why? And, and please don't take this for the joke it might sound like, <laughs> but Martha. Martha Wayne. Martha! Has, has yet to be explored. It's yeah. always about his father's legacy. It's always mm-hmm. about Thomas Wayne's name. Yeah. Martha doesn't even have any freaking lines in yes. the Nolan trilogy. I know. What the hell is that? It's internalized misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is two movies, one fantastic and one that's a terrible mistake. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's my overall feeling, man. I'm just I felt guilty walking out of the theater saying to myself, I actually like that and but I can't defend it. Yeah. And it's it's that weird in between, just like, oh, this is so bad, but this is so good. And I guess at least it ended on the killing joke, so mm-hmm. then I walked out feeling more satisfied, mm-hmm. but like watching that first half was it was watching a slow. It was watching a car crash in slow motion, man. It was just like, man, there's no way to, <laughs> to turn back from this. <laughs> you know what? To tell you the truth, I I don't know if I necessarily. I won't even go so far as to say yeah. say that for myself. Mm-hmm. I I think that there was a lot of potential in doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, I just painted a whole picture of how you could have done it better. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> it's easy to armchair quarterback a movie after the fact. I could see some potential in there. Tara Strong does do a fantastic. Batgirl. Love her. Uh, I did like this weird villain that was obsessed with her. Like, there was potential there for yeah. some some interesting story elements. It's just the missteps of how Batman treats her, uh, about how, uh, about the sex scene, about how they degraded her into this doting ex-girlfriend, and that 
Um, because Batman rejects her, she decides to quit. Not true. She does almost cross the line and kill the guy. There's potential there for a story. And, yeah. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. It didn't. It didn't work. It honestly, really, it really needed a female perspective, man. Because like, even the way it was constructed, it was those from the outside, male, all male, by the way, how they view Batgirl mm-hmm. instead of okay. Are we gonna get anything from Barbara herself? Yeah, get Gail Simone in there. She's yes! written, she's written oodles of books of, of birds of prey. She has yeah. she created Oracle as we know her. Mm-hmm. A little stinger at the end of making her Oracle. Yeah, unnecessary. No. That was so fan service. To have, <laughs> to have that. It's like all all that did to me was say, all right, you're saying this fits in the continuity of the Batman animated series universe. Yeah. That's what you've done. <laughs> this is canon. <laughs> No, that's brilliant, man, because I feel like I don't know how much power Bruce Tim has these days, but if if we can give him the benefit of the doubt, he sat down, looked at this, and knew Killing Joke had problematic elements to it. Hmm. And to offset that, you don't hire another person who's kind of known for doing that <laughs> as much as I like Azarello. What's a work? modern equivalent of Alan Moore's kookiness? <laughs> Look, Azarello is a brilliant writer. Great writer. 100 Bullets is an unbelievable series that surely will be on HBO someday, mm. hopefully with a better ending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his Broken City Batman run, he did a six-issue six arc. It's great. Ezreal yeah. knows how to tell crime dramas. Mm. Unfortunately, he does not write women very well. Yes, it, it seems more like a CW drama for the <laughs> prologue. <laughs> Uh, the, the most it, egregious thing about the sex scene, can I tell you, TC, is it, it, they don't show much. Uh, Robert takes her top off. She still has a bra on. It tilts up to a smirking gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, waka waka. <laughs> yeah, this is happening. Yeah, hot stuff, right? It's just... <sighs> Listen, Batgirl is such an important character. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. I, I know I said it already, but yeah. she's second to Wonder Woman. And the potential of what that character could mean for Warner Brothers DC is incredible. They, yeah. they have such an opportunity. That I, For those out there who may be interested in exploring what Batgirl could be, Chuck Dixon's Batgirl Year One mm. is spectacularly drawn, spectacularly written. It's a very quick read. It's only four or five issues. And it is fun and exciting and dramatic and it's 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 one of the finest Batgirl stories out there. Yeah. I would love to see that. You in in that you could have a series, a Batgirl series if you followed that template. Yeah. of of girl and a female empowerment of a young girl saying like, "No, I can hang with the boys. I can mm-hmm. kick ass with the boys." And and what does that mean for her as a character? It's what Supergirl offers up. All right, CW, Greg Berlanti, hear me and hear me now. <laughs> you have got to get Batgirl on the Supergirl TV series uh, as a reoccurring character. Make it happen. Holy crap, would that be amazing? That would be freaking awesome, Because actually. Supergirl is executing what I just asked for, to say a young girl who can hang in a man's game. Yeah. That's what Supergirl is doing. Totally. It is empowering the girls. Oh, my God, get Batgirl on there. <laughs> Woo! Okay, Dreamcast. <laughs> I kind of want Gina Rodriguez to play Batgirl. Who's Gina Rodriguez? She's Jane the Virgin. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. 
She's played because she plays kind of like an angelic sweet girl in that show, mm-hmm. but she's in this uh, hip hop film called Philly Brown, hmm. and she plays an inner city kid. And I, I just think that would be such a great modern twist on Batgirl. Oh, man, make but yeah, it, make it so. <laughs> you're, you're totally right, man. Like, I feel like Batgirl's more interesting than Robin himself. Like, he's she's like one of the most, aside from Batman, one of the most interesting in the Bat Hero pantheon. She's iconic. Yeah, she was on the Adam West Batman series. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh, I love that PSA about uh, w- women's equal pay. That uh, yeah. it's it's been circulating, but it's fantastic. <laughs> Everyone should try to find yep. that. Yep. So she's she's been in the pop cultural uh, spotlight. Yeah, for a long, long time, mm. and still not really done right live action wise. I would love to see. You know what? Give me an animated Birds of Prey. <laughs> you know what? Uh, someone asked that at the panel. They yeah. said if you guys wanted to do a female empowerment story. You could have done a Birds of Prey movie. Yeah. (laughs) Black Canary has seen uh, some time to shine on Arrow in a couple of incarnations. Uh, Huntress has had some time to shine on Arrow as well Mm. to a very well done, uh, to a a well done effect. Yeah. Um, uh, Speedy, um, Thea Queen as uh, Arrow's sidekick on the show. So like the Berlanti stuff has done a good job in bringing in female superheroes. Yeah. Hell, even Smallville did it well with bringing in um, a couple of created characters. Yeah. Like Chloe um, um, as Clark's best friend, as a couple of female villains and anti-heroes that came on through the show. It uh, is possible Chloe. to do this. What's it? <laughs> Chloe. I, I miss Chloe. Chloe Sullivan. She's yeah. one of my TV crushes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, like for me... Films, like mainstream blockbuster films, there's a lot riding on it, right? Financially, investors, worldwide now, blah, 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 so on and so forth. So I I still don't understand it. I still don't excuse it. But there is I, – I get why it's harder to cast diverse mm-hmm. for film. There is no excuse for TV and especially animated because all you need is voices. All you need is a voice. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cost that much. You know what I mean? Like if anything, it's a conscious – it's a – Obviously, unconscious bias, but like conscious decision to not want to do this through a female lens. Mm. You know what I mean? Whether they want to admit it or not. Because Sam Liu, I can't forgive him because I've seen his past animated work and it's extremely hyper, hyper. It's he's he's kind of like the animated version of Zack Snyder, hmm. like the way he directs, like wow. Batman, Batman Superman. Was it Public Enemies or like that that one Apocalypse. bad one? Apocalypse with uh, Supergirl. He directed Cloud. that oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Please. And it's the Power Girl with like the giant boobs. Jugs, and, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ridiculous, but yeah, he's it's it seems like he's that kind of director. And you know, it been great to see who who could have directed this. Um, I f- I forget her name, but she's a really young director. But she directed Wonder Woman, the 2009 one that you loved so much. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And have Gail Simone write the script. <sighs> Who knows? That could have been magic. What could have been? Yeah. All right. Well, while you're done, once you're done with your Iron Fist fan film, what do you say we remake the Killing Joke? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. We gotta find someone who we can cast as Batman. That's a that's a thing. <laughs> TC do it. <laughs> I'd make a good Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we could wrap wrap up uh, wrap it up there. Mm. Um, so, what's like? What was your overall feeling about this film? Were you confused? Were you more positive? Disappointed. Or, disappointed. Disappointed. The killing joke section is very very well done, mm. um, and it's it's great. Please, if you can watch the movie just from that point, yeah. skip the Batgirl stuff. Batgirl stuff is not great. 
It's not great. It's some of the worst DC animated directed DVD stuff I've ever seen. Woo! And and it's because Boom. and it's because it's released as a film. Yes. Okay. If that was just an episode of the animated series, if that was released on its own, I'd have completely different feelings about it. Mm. Because it it would still be problematic in what it presents for Batgirl as a character. <laughs> yeah. But it would be its own thing. But by attaching it to the Killing Joke, it it retroactively makes it that much worse. Yes. To claim that it has anything to do with what follows is a lie. Yeah. And it's. And it ring and it's such a lie that it just makes it so much worse, and that's why mm. my my nerd rage response is to say it's one of the worst things I've seen of the <laughs> DC animated stuff. But I wouldn't say that your reaction is hyperbolic at all. Like it's it's warped <laughs> for those who saw it. Um, for this ending, this ending is extremely controversial, even when the comic book came out. Mm-hmm. However, just for my two cents, I thought it was freaking brilliant, man. It was so good. As it's handled in the comic, yeah. it's handled in the movie. Yeah. The question is, does Batman kill Joker? Mm. Is this where he finally... And that joke is good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good... That's a great it's joke. It's a very good joke. And, and, and you get the laugh of Batman, and it slowly keeps going and yeah. going, and it's madness. And and what what's the question? Did Joker prove that he could drive someone to the point of madness, mm. like him? And does Batman kill Joker? Does Batman have a psychotic breakdown but still let Joker live? Yeah. Like... If the camera hadn't tilted down, would Joker have lost his... Because Joker loses his smile. Like, I love that Batman says, look, we can do this all day. Yeah. And then it's going to end with one of us dying. Mm. But let me help you. Yeah. Talk to me. Let's figure this out. And, and Hamill's performance in that moment of like, you're right. <laughs> mm. What am I supposed to do here? Yeah. It's uh, it's phenomenal. That's incredible. And, yes. And, to, and then to leave you question of like, what happened? Yes. It's uncomfortable and it's super awkward. Uh, like Candace was like, that that ending was dumb. What the hell was that? Nah. And, but, but she had already checked out. Yeah. Like she did not like the movie at all. But uh, probably because she's a girl. <laughs> and, but I having known the source material and and analyzing that in my graphic novels course in yeah. college to to see it executed on film and almost exactly how I imagined it, mm-hmm. it leaves you with that questioning. Like, how did this end? I I was haunted, TC. <laughs> Especially by the way, incredible sound design by the way, because they they fade to black to credits, but then they still have the the, uh, the raindrops. Oh yeah, echo yeah. throughout the credits. I was just like, oh wow, <laughs> it's so it's it's hollow, but it's not cold. Mm. If that makes any sense, um, because just watching, I feel like the, the this ata- adaptation has its own perspective on the graphic novel i feel because the graphic novel was obviously very joker heavy but this one i feel like you you very much follow batman much more because his entire mission was to prove that there's still humanity in all of us even in the joker who Mm. was like inhumane the way he just destroys people's lives Mm. and he's trying to rehabilitate him basically and i can help you (laughs) and that last joke even though like some people want to go darker and say oh he killed he choked joker out basically Mm -hmm. at the end but i would just i just want to think like they shared a very human moment at the end it wasn't like holding hands bonding and singing kumbaya over campfire or anything Mm -hmm. but like they they it was like almost like a quentin tarantino moment where they were having a very mundane conversation like everyday conversation about this one thing but it showed a much an extra dimension of their character of their relationship of the relationship of how complicated it is mm-hmm. and this uh, this is the first time in any iteration of batman or the joker 
live action or animated, where they were kind of just human. Because the Joker is always hyper stylized in how insane I am, and yeah, Batman's they, they always dropped like, all the pretense. Yeah, there's no pretense. Mm. There is. It's just it's two guys in a room talking trying to talk out their problems whether or not they solve it that doesn't really matter mm-hmm. that's why that ending's so powerful because people keep trying it's just like the inception thing who cares if the top fell over it's like did we get to the point yeah and the point is fan freaking tastic <laughs> i was wholly satisfied yes yeah and that's why i'm so conflicted whether whether or not do i like this movie <laughs> yes you yeah. you did like this movie yeah. i love this i love this movie mm-hmm. i just didn't like the short that they showed before the movie <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't know what what else there to say. Like that that ending sold the movie for me mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, if I can recommend another animated DC film, I recommend Return of the Joker. You, yes. you need no you need no preconceived no you don't need to have any information of Batman Beyond. You just need to know that it's a future version of Batman, mm-hmm. and that story is the la- is the the other time that Hamill played. One scary ass Joker. Yes. The, if you can find Return of the Joker, if you can watch the original uh, unrated cuts, which has just a couple little little small minor changes from the 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 release that they put on te- television, uh, that is oh so good. It is it is scary. It's as the, scary as Joker could be. As the, he, you know, the Robin flashbacks are. It's a horror movie. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great. So that'd be my recommendation for if you're looking to combine this with something or see something else. Ben, do you have another animated DC? Something to recommend. It doesn't necessarily have to be DC yeah, animated. Totally. Um, I I highly recommend, I, we reviewed this already, but I highly recommend Mask of the Phantasm. Yes. Because I think that is the definitive Mark Hamill performance. They even, like, even scientifically, I don't know how they measured this, but, like, in terms of his voice performance, the laugh at the end when the Phantasm takes him <laughs> and into the dust of smoke and they disappear, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be, like, the most perfect laugh or whatever that Hamill has ever delivered. So scientifically, wow, like, that is his best. Like that the, is best. The the resonance and the whatever he did with his vocal cords. Yeah. Scientifically, the greatest laugh ever yep. recorded by Mark Hamill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so I highly recommend that because it, even though it was a, a straight up Joker story, mm-hmm. it has probably the best Joker performance. Yeah. yeah, it's a great origin story for Batman. That was the best Batman origin story until Batman Begins came out. Yeah, and as we discussed when we did our review of it. Might even still be better. Yeah, I I dare say so, good sir. I dare say so. So, well, there you go. That is Comic-Con and The Killing Joke. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for getting through that. If anyone has watched The the Killing Joke or may have an opinion about anything we said about Comic-Con, please obviously comment below or send me a message. You bunch of scaredy cats. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because it's people listen on iTunes and there's nowhere to comment uh, is like, what, what the issue is. Where's this box he keeps talking about? <laughs> uh, but if you are listening to this on Fir- Firmament Films, please take a look around and check out uh, the new mm. short film, Meatball Assassino, <laughs> as well as Screenwriter, um, our Milwaukee 48s. And we have another couple short films coming in the next month as well. So mm. something to look out for. Ben, please plug your stuff. Of course. I am the El Capitan of Band With No Name Films. We have just recently produced a Marvel Comics short film slash fan film slash martial arts drama called The Immortal Iron Fist is looking to drop mid-September. We're in post-production at the moment, but a lot of promotional materials such as op editorials will be dropping soon as well to promote the film. We're really excited about it because it's putting a gender bend and a race bend on the uh, the, the classically white male savior character. <laughs> and so uh, we're really looking forward to that. 
And I'm still in cahoots with my good friends at NBC Asian America, producing my documentary miniseries called Life Stories, where we go around and interview uh, notable and influential Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders of the country. And so that's really cool. And the latest episode will be dropping every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. at NBC Asian America on Facebook, YouTube, Roku, Amazon <laughs> Stream, and NBCNews.com. <laughs> awesome. So, well, that's it for us. We will we will be back again for another rewatch. Um, Would you say Scarface? Maybe. I I don't dare to jump into that <laughs> abyss. If you're ready for it, then I am. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready. There was a there was a. I, actually, I know what we should do. Okay. The Last Samurai. All right. Oh, I, <laughs> I am TCG Wit for Bento oh. across the table here. Come on, audible hot five. That's there the one thing we forgot. For all the rewatchmen. <laughs>